All right. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28 real quickly. I want you to see this and reference it so you can go back to it later. How hard is it to turn in your Bible today? Wow. I've always made fun of electronic Bibles until today. Like, get a real Bible, man, until today. This is the perfect time. Thank you, Lord, for technology. Just look at chapters 28 of Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Just maybe put your uh, a piece of paper or something there so you can come back to it. It says, blessings for obedience. Next heading, curses for disobedience. It says, covenant, right? This is a covenant that God made with his people. And he said, if you obey me, here's what's going to happen. And if you disobey me, here's what's going to happen. And over here it says, I shall be safe, though I walk in stubbornness of my heart. I think sometimes as a Christian, so I'm talking to believers today. I want you to know that. I'm talking to you as a believer, which means you already have Jesus Christ, which means you're already forgiven and free. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, give me great church. Wake up. Like Jesus Christ paid for your sins. That's awesome. All right. Okay. So in that, we still do have to look at what is my life in regards to the scriptures? And Deuteronomy makes it pretty clear, okay? He says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all, and that you may live. Guys, the title of the message is, Choose to Sin, Choose to Suffer. It's a warning. But, Here's an alternate title that will give you the gospel. Choose to obey, choose to live, right? That's that's the antithesis. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. We all know that. We've sinned and we've we've had consequences. Probably not what we deserved, but some sort of like, oh, that wasn't awesome. Choose to obey, choose to live, live in Christ. So, I just want to give you a recap quick. Lamentations 4, a lot like Lamentations 1 and 2. Again, it's an acrostic. We went to Lamentations 3 last week. Wasn't it amazing? Uh, If you didn't see it, watch online. Because that chapter is the creme de la creme of Lamentations. That is it, right? But we're at chapter 4. Unless it be a little bit of a letdown, not as much hope. Let me tell you, there's tons of hope here. So Lamentations is a cry. It's a cry, a loud cry, or a passionate expression of grief. If you've been through COVID, you understand what I'm talking about. There must have been a time during that season where you yelled out to God, God help me! If you've been through the struggles with our church, there probably was a time where you were like, seriously, Lord, we need you. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Think of lament as a transition between pain and promise. Yeah, there's pain, but there's also the promise of Jesus Christ. Think of lament as the transition because the life is hard, right? It's a path from heartbreak to hope. So you're going to see the heartbreak today, but you have to remember the hope. Lament, I give you four steps. Three weeks ago, turn to God, complain to God, 
okay? Ask God to act on your behalf and then trust him to do it. That's what lament is. Learn to live in the tension of pain beyond belief. Anybody? I've been there not that long ago. And divine sovereignty beyond comprehension. God is still sovereign, even though it hurts so bad. Wow. And the way to do that is by stepping into trust. We're in our church trying to build trust now. After Monday night's meeting, we hope that we'll gain trust. And I think there's nothing better to gain trust than to preach the word of God. So choose to put your confidence in the word of God. Choose to put your confidence in God and live. So here it is. Lament is how to live between hard life and God's promises. You're going to see hard life in the chapter, but you know you have the whole counsel of the word of God. You have God's promises that it's not going to stay like that. Babylon isn't going to concert, conquer Israel forever. 75 years later, they're coming back. Just remember that as we look forward. So with that in the forefront of your mind, I want you to look at Lamentations 4, and I want you to write this down. Sin brings severe consequences. I'll say it again. Sin brings severe consequences. I think we've all felt those consequences, and sometimes it gets our attention. Other times, we just keep living in sin until it comes to our attention. And when it comes to our attention, that pain makes us stop, and it makes us choose, look God in the face, and do something different. Church, that's what we need, every one of us. So, it brings severe consequences. Okay, look at Lamentations chapter 4. I'm going to give you three points here. Three consequences, I would say, of our sin. Look at verse 1. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered. If you know anything about 1 Peter 2, living stones, scattered, right? At the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. You're more precious than gold to God, right? How they are regarded as earthen pots. The work of a potter's hand. Skip down to verse 9 and 10. Oh, look at, check that, 7 and 8. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Means their skin didn't get to much uh, outside work. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. These were good-looking people. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry wood. Now, I don't want to make fun, but I think this is a good example. If you've ever met a homeless person, they've been exposed to the elements. And you understand what I'm talking about. There's a certain wear and tear that comes with being exposed to the elements. Picture that. 
Here it is. Sin, sin brings severe consequences. Now, before I say that, because I used the homeless illustration, I need to just earmark Job. Look at Job. Did Job sin? Why so much suffering? And then when he suffered, what happened? People started to say, Job, you must have sinned. And Job's like going through the Rolodex going, man, did I sin? Did I sin? Did, what did I do? I thought I offered all these offerings. I, I made sure everything was right with the Lord. What did I do? And then his buddies came and started to accuse him of sinning because if you suffer, you must have sinned. And Job started to sin. So familiar to me. Because he started to become defensive. Rather than putting his hope in God, he started to tip for tap with people and say, yeah, well, what about this? What about that? Well, you're this and you're worse. And, and God at the end of Job says, Job, you're wrong. You were right. That's why I said to Satan, have you considered anybody like my son, my servant, Job? But in your being right, you became wrong. You became self-righteous. And you went toe-to-toe -to -toe with other people. So earmark that. That you don't always suffer for your sin. Sometimes you suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, don't get that clouded. Here's the first thing. Sin brings to severe consequences. The first consequence is impurity. Impurity. It's a lack of holiness. I'm dumb to ask, but have you ever sinned? Yes, I have. How did it leave you feeling? It left me feeling dirty. That's how it left me. I felt gross afterwards. This morning, I was talking to one of my kids, and I said something and had a bad interaction. That happens sometimes. And I drove away, and I felt gross. Felt gross, right? Why didn't I ask that question rather than make that statement? I felt gross. Impurity, sin does that, and it has a consequence. It breaks relationship because there's no holiness. God is a consuming fire and will not tolerate deliberate sin. So if you feel dirty today, if you feel separated from God today, there is a way back to him. And it's confession of your sin in the name of Jesus Christ and moving forward through him. Okay, look at verse 3. Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young. But the daughters of my people have become what? What does it say? What does it say, people? You don't like to say that word, do you? Cruel. Cruel. Cruelty is a thing in our world. There are people burning down buildings, treating people with contempt. It's cruel. Somebody stepped on a guy's neck and killed him. That's cruel. That's sin. Sin brings a consequence. Cruelty. Look at verse 4. The tongue of the infants, nursing infants, sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food. No one gives it to them. 
Does anybody have like a little pit of anger in their stomach? Feed the kid. Right? Can you take that anger to how you feel about abortion today? Protect that child. Every child deserves a nurturing home. Every child deserves to be in a safe place where they have food and water. Now, these people did not have that. Right after cruel, it says, like the ostriches in the wilderness. If you read anything about ostriches, they lay their eggs and they leave them. That's cruel. Look at verse 9 and 10. Happier, well, that doesn't sound like cruelty. Yeah, were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger. I would rather die quickly. That's how bad it is. I'd rather you kill me than I starve to death. That's what he's saying. Who wastes away, pierced by the lack of fruits of the field. This is going to get a little gross. I'm just sorry. Right now, I'm going to apologize. But it's the word of God. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Do you understand why this is a hard message? People don't do this stuff. But it's so grim that even the most heinous acts are happening. Look around. We live in that culture. It's cruelty. It's a lack of love and compassion for God and others. And it leaves us short with people. You ever sin? Or you're living in sin, private sin, and you get around somebody and you're just short? You got a nine on the anger scale? All they have to do is say one little thing and boom! Volcano is coming out. Come on now, tell me I'm not the only one. That's a good evidence that you're living in sin. When anger is on the brink all the time. When your cruelty can come out so quickly, check your heart. Something's wrong. Sin brings severe consequences. First, impurity. I feel gross. Second, cruelty. I treat people like they're gross. And then third, death. Ultimately, it brings death. I think there's a verse like that in James. Go read James chapter 1, verse 12 through 27. It's there. Death, verse 5. Look at that. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. That means died. Those who were brought up in purple embrace each ash heaps. It's not going well. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom. What? God treated the people of Israel worse than he treated Sodom? What? I just don't have a category for that. He loves them that much. Didn't happen quickly. He tried to turn them back in his patience. He does that with you and your sin. Which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Look at verse 11. The Lord gave full vent to his anger. He poured out his hot anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. 
Look at verse 18 and 19. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come, death. Our pursuers were swifter, swifter than the eagles in the heavens. Matter of fact, it mentions that in Deuteronomy. Go look. They chased us on the mountains, and they lay in wait for us in the wilderness. It's a grim picture. It's a picture of death. Death is the lack of life. Now, you go, exhibit A, Adam and Eve. God said that they would surely die, but they didn't die. Really? Yes, they did die, and they were living dead in sin. And you and I were until we accepted Christ. Unless we fall back into that, let this warning get us out of the ditch quickly. Spiritually separated from God. That's what death is to us. Because there's no way you're dying and going to hell if you're a believer in Christ. Are we clear on that? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are dying and going to heaven. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Romans 8 says. But I'll tell you what. You can walk around like a dead man. You can walk around like nothing's going right in your life. I've done it. You've probably done it as well. Sometimes it gets so bad that death is preferred to life because I'm living in spiritual death. And I just think, wake up, Steve. Can I ask you a question? We've all admitted sin is an issue. Why would we ever return to sin knowing that we have Jesus Christ? Why would we ever go back? If you've tasted life in Jesus Christ, why go back? My family was reading Revelations chapter 2 this week in our time uh, family worship. And it says in Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus, the biggest, baddest church in Asia. Jesus says, I got a problem with you. You're doing some stuff wrong. And you need to come back to your first love. You need to remember, you need to repent, and you need to redo the things that you did at first. I feel like this is that message. If you want to take it to the New Testament, this is that message. Hey, people, we need to remember the goodness of God, and that holiness is a thing with him. We need to repent of our sin and renew our relationship with Jesus. We need to redo the work we can do through the power of Holy Spirit. This is the word to us today. I'll just say this. Nobody has ever made, was ever made better, more attractive, or more valuable because of their sin. So in case you're like thinking, maybe I should sin this week, maybe I shouldn't. What's the over-under? I don't know. You're probably living in the flesh if you're thinking that way. But in case you're thinking that, Hey, nobody has ever was ever made better, more attractive, or more valuable because of they sin. The only thing sin can do for you and me is to point out our need for Jesus Christ. So, if you've sinned this last week, kick me, 
right? I've done it. You've done it. What should sin do to us? Should it twist us up? Should it make us go into the cave? Should it put us in the ditch? Maybe unrepentant, gross. I know I'm doing it deliberate sin should. But every day, go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to receive, reveal to you the things that you've done and put those things off. Ask him to restore to you the joy of your salvation. I'm going to get to Psalm 51 to close in a minute. Let me just catch the rest of this passage. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Do you know how many times God had turned back big foes? Egypt, Israel, Assyria, Babylon. He turned them all back. Do you know how many times God in your life has turned back foes? People that would consume you or destroy you? You don't even know the times that you had near misses. We're too busy whining about the time that it actually hit home. It's unbelievable. No one would have thought. Never thought it could happen like this. Sin does that. Isn't that true? How many pastors are leaving ministry? Unbelievable. Well, this mentor. Well, that mentor. Well, another guy. I listen to on TV and he's, he's out too. Sin does that. Heroes fall. Have ever had a hero fall? Yeah. Marriages fail. Why do marriages fail? It's unbelievable. It's a covenant relationship. Jesus Christ. Come on, let's go. Sin does that. Look at verse 20. Just two more things that I want to point out. I would be remiss not to give these to you. Verse 20. The breath of our nostrils the Lord's anointed, basically they're saying, the king, Zedekiah, he's our life breath, he's the line of David, he's our messianic hope, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Why are we saying, under some man's shadow we're going to live among the nations? That is messed up. Let's learn from them. And here's what I got to say. If you put your trust in the next president, in our mayor, into some leader in your life, you're going to be sorely disappointed because they're sinners as well. And they're not going to make the decision, the right decision, most of the time, apart from the Holy Spirit filling them. Here's what I came to say. Listen close. This is a great thing. Ultimately, we, church, it's we, put our trust, our faith, and our hope in the wrong things. He says several things here. We put our trust in spiritual leaders. It says that up in verse 13. This was for your sins of your prophets and the iniquities of your priests. Who shed, the, uh, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteousness. Spiritual leaders, outside help. Look at that. Verse 17. 
our eyes fail, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watch for a nation which could not save. We're talking about Egypt. They thought Egypt would come rescue them. He couldn't do it. See, when sin, when sin wants to cut you off and God allows it to do so, nothing's coming to rescue you. Not your spiritual leader. Not outside help from nations or anything else. Your neighbors, friends, and not even the king. That was the point, verse 20. Even the Lord's anointed, the president, your governor, the senator, your mayor, maybe even your pastor, if you allow that, nothing can rescue you if God's going to allow you to be cut off. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we put our hope and faith in the wrong thing. What are you putting your hope and faith in right now? Can I ask you that? I think it's just good to stop for a second and just go, okay. Let's let's I've been listening a long time. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Slow down. What are you putting your faith and hope in? Well, if the wind would stop, I could be able to hear you. If my boss would. My house was. If my wife could, why doesn't Jesus do this? Let's get there. That's lament. Let's get there at the end of it all. Verse twenty-one. I got to end with this. Look at verse twenty-one. Rejoice and be glad, O daughters of Edom. Edom. Now, do you know what Edom is? Edom is from Esau. Israel is from Jacob. They are rival nations since they were fighting in the womb. So Edom's not a great thing. He says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughters of Edom. You will dwell in the land of us, but, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk, confused, that is, and stripped. And strip yourself bare. That's shame. Confusion and shame are coming upon you, Edom. This is the prophet taking a shot at another nation. Why? Because Babylon wiped out Israel, Jerusalem, but they didn't take Edom out. Not this time. And the prophet's saying, wait, 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 wait. God, you're taking us out because of our sin? What about them because of their sin? You ever get like that? That's what Job did, right? He got defensive. Hey, whoa, 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 pointing the finger. What about over there? Look at him. His sin. And the prophet says, hey, rejoice, sinner. Eat him. Because it's coming on you. You escape this time, but you won't escape forever. The cup is coming. Look at verse 22. The punishment of your iniquity, your sin, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. Basically, he's not going to take you into exile again. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. Here's what it means. Here's what it says. Let me just say it for you. You might escape sin this time. God is patient with sinners. Praise the Lord. But it's coming. Repent now, 
said this message was a warning. Repent now or get ready. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to apply this message to your life. I want you to open up to Psalm 51. And I want to give you a personal time. You don't need to hear me read it. I want you to give you a personal time with God. Right here in my front yard. Just open up to Psalm 51. This is a psalm of lament for my own personal sin. And the application of the message today is to read it. Just you. Just by yourself. Nobody condemn you for your sin. Nobody's good enough to condemn you for your sin. Only Jesus Christ is your judge. He alone stands in judgment over you. So go to Christ. As you read this passage, take a few minutes to do that, and then we'll close with a song. It's a great passage, isn't it? I come back to this over and over and over again. Just confess and to be free from sin. Let me start in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Church, that's what I've set out to do today. I had to have my personal time getting right with God first. But when you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm here with God, let's go. You will teach transgressors, sinners, God's ways, and sinners will return to God. I love that. That's a decree. So this is your message that you can preach to others lovingly. Even this week, as you go throughout your day, as you go throughout your week, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand, stand and sing. Father God, thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Holy Spirit, move. Move among us. Convict us of our sin. Where there's self-righteousness, where we're saying we have not sinned, oh, let us be laid bare. But we have. And you are just in your judgment. We come to you, God, needing a fresh, a cleansing. Hurt us. Cleanse us. And we will be whiter than snow. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ pouring over our sin. And is setting us free. Help us to live in that freedom, God. We do not have to return. Sin. Suffering. Pray this. Sealed up, be sealed under our hearts in Jesus' name.